0: All right. We are reading Second uh, John, verses one through thirteen, which is the entirety of this letter. So let's give our attention to God's word. It says, "The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father." And from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning. So that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete." The children of your elect sister greet you. The grass withers and the flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we uh, look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, you know so much better than we do that we need you. We need you to break through our sinful selves, so that we might understand your word, so that we might hear it. Father, you know that I need great help to teach your word. And so we pray now that you would do that, that you would be with us by your Holy Spirit, uh, that, you would, that you would work in spite of my sin and my shortcomings, uh, and in spite of all of our shortcomings. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, have you, hope that you've seen the movie uh, The Truman Show? If you haven't seen the movie The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, very good movie. Uh, And the basic idea was that he was born and then lived his entire life, up until he was about 30 or so, uh, on the set of a television show. And so his whole life, unbeknownst to him, was really fake, right? Everyone that he knew was a paid actor. And people from all over the world tuned in to watch, watch his life. And then eventually, he began to realize that something was up, that everything revolved around him in sort of an unusual way. And so he, he began his quest to figure out the truth of what was really going on. He wanted to find out what was really real. So he devises this plan uh, where he can sort of escape, he starts to find cameras, Uh, And so he devises this plan where he can escape the detection of the cameras. And he ends up, even though he's afraid of the water, they've made him afraid of the water, he gets in a boat and he starts to sail uh, in the ocean. That's in quotes because it's not really an ocean. And eventually he runs into the wall of the studio that's painted like the, the sky, right? He thinks he's got open ocean and he runs into the wall. And so he gets out of the boat... And he realizes that, that this is all fabricated. He finds a staircase that leads up to a door that has exit written on it. And he opens the door and there's this great moment where, where he's trying to figure out what he's gonna do. Right, he, he's realized that all of this is fake. That his whole life has not been real. That there's something outside of what he thinks is the world that there's actually a real world out there. And as he's standing there, this voice comes, over the, uh, comes out of the sky, it seems to him. It's the producer of the show. And he tries to talk Truman out of going into the real world. And he basically says, there's, You're not going to find any more truth out there than in the world that I've created for you. And he says, In here, you're safe. And he tries to talk him into staying. And so as you watch that, basically the very end of the show. As you watch Truman try to decide what he's going to do, what you want to yell at Truman is basically, you basically want to say, look, you know the truth now. Go, Go live in the truth, right? Don't stay here. You know what's real. Go out and live in that. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't listen to this voice that's trying to tell you to stay in unreality. Go out and live it. And that, I think, is really exactly what Second John is telling us. It's really the same message. So John has written this letter to a church. That's who the elect lady is. Um, it's not... Uh, Most likely it's not to just one lady, but it's actually sort of a metaphor for the church and the children or the members of that church. And John writes to this church, to this group of people that have had their eyes open to the truth of Jesus, right? They've embraced the gospel. And he basically is telling them in this letter, look, you know the truth now. So you need to live in light of that truth And don't let anybody persuade you with something else. You know the truth now, so live in it and don't listen to any any untruth that somebody tries to bring you. So I want to look at that. It would be no surprise to you in three ways. uh, First, we're going to look at uh, walking in the truth or maybe we could say living the truth. Secondly, we're going to look at Uh, What I've called guarding the truth, or possibly, uh, if we could use this metaphor, breathing the truth, living in it—the air we breathe. Thirdly, and finally, believing the truth. All right. So first, walking in the truth. Um, He tells. All right. So basically, uh, if you read through the letter again, you see that truth it's mentioned however many times, right? Several times. That's because it's his main thing, right? I think we've established that. And what he tells them now is that because you know the truth, now live in it. So let's take just just a quick second to define what this truth is. It's what he talks about in verse 3. You look down there, and he refers to grace, mercy, and peace. And he's basically talking, very simply he's talking about the, the Christian truth, what we call the gospel, right? That even though you and I and, and these people, and everyone else, are sinners, even though we have rejected God, and we have made ourselves His enemy, that He reaches out to us and saves us. That He brings us back. That even though we're the problem, we're His enemy, He sends His Son, Jesus, to live and then die in our place so that we get credit for what he did right. And he gets credit for all that we did wrong. And we get to be forgiven. And so, and all of that is absolutely free to us. It's purely by his grace. So that's the, that's the truth that he's talking about living in light of. And so John tells them, he basically says, look, several of you, so many of you are living already. You're walking according to that truth. And he encourages them to keep walking in light of that truth. And he says what that looks like, fundamentally, is to love other people. That what it looks like to walk or live in the truth is to love other people. Certainly to love God and to love other people. And he goes on to say, to describe that, what does it look like to love other people? He basically says, it looks like keeping God's commandments. Right? It's what we talked about all semester. And I don't want to belabor this point too much. But you remember we said the first four commandments really pertain to our relationship with God. And the next six primarily pertain to our relationship with one another. So that what it looks like to love other people is to keep the commandments. And so John tells us that because now that you know the truth and that this is true of you, live in light of that, right? Think about Truman. How crazy would it be for Truman realizing that his whole world is a sham, right? That it's fake. That as he stands there and thinks about it, for him to decide, you know what? I'm just going to keep on living like that. I'm going to keep living I'm going to live as if this woman that's an actor actress is really my mom. And this woman that is my girlfriend who's really an actress I'm going to continue to relate to her like she's my girlfriend, right? Of course he wouldn't do that, right? That's it's crazy. Because it's simply not true. And so John's telling us So what does that mean for us? Look, basically if if you believe that The foundation of all reality is the fact that you're greatly loved even though you're, you've been a, an enormous offense to God. But if the foundation of reality is that you're greatly loved, then you're going to naturally love other people, right? If that's what reality is and you live in it, it'll look like loving other people. First, first John, right, book before. First John two nine through eleven says this: Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Right, Exactly the same message that we see here in the first part of First John. If, what, if the fundamental truth of, of your existence is that you're greatly loved, then we should love other people, right? Live like that's true. And so just, a, I guess, a quick application of that. One, what a great reminder for us, right? If you're a believer, what a great reminder that the way that we're supposed to relate to other people, we're supposed to go back to the truth, right? We're supposed to remember that what's true of me is that I'm a terrible person, but Jesus has loved me anyway. And I need to treat other people. I need to go to the commandments, right? I I need to encourage life in other people. I need to treat other people with, um, with faithfulness. I need to not try to shape their reality, on and on, right? And and when you find yourself having trouble loving other people, because you will, right? And that's part of the beauty. John gives us this command, this encouragement to see that this doesn't come natural. We have to remind, it's crazy, we have to remind ourselves to live in the truth. But when you find yourself not loving people well, what do you do? You go back to the truth. And you remind yourself of your own sin. And you remind yourself of Jesus' grace to you. And that will begin to help us to love other people. All right, secondly, so we see um, that John calls us to walk in the truth. Secondly, he calls us to guard the truth. Right, he connects this idea of walking or or, uh, living in light of the truth with what he talks about in verses 7 through 11. And it's this whole idea that the deceivers and antichrists have gone out. And he warns us not to be deceived by them and not to welcome or greet these people. So what's that all about? What's he talking about? Well, if you remember from last week, 3 John, right, um, John was encouraging a guy named Gaius, who was a leader in his church, uh, to to welcome in Christian missionaries. There were people traveling around the area, spreading the good news of the kingdom, and he was welcoming them into his house. And John was saying, that's a great thing to do. Keep doing it. Support the work of the kingdom by bringing these people in. Well, what he's telling us here is that some of those people, some people that are going out and claiming to be Christians and teach teach in the name of Jesus are actually not Some of those people are teaching things that are false. And he says, for those people, do not let them in your house. Do not show them hospitality. Don't greet them. And now look, we need to make a a handful of things clear because that could could seem really strange, right? All right, I got one letter that says, show hospitality to everybody. And another one says, like, well, not if they don't believe certain things. All right, but keep in mind a few things first. Where are they? Um, First, John's not talking about people that simply believe something other than uh, Christian doctrine. Right? He's not talking about someone that just holds a different belief. He's talking about people that are going out, claiming to be Christians, and intentionally teaching something that's false. Right? They are actively propagating this this heresy. Second, it's also it's most likely that what John is talking about is not, just, is not bringing them into his house and showing them hospitality, but bringing them into the church to teach. Right? Uh, church is met in houses. And so most likely what he's saying is don't bring those people in and have them teach at your church. And then thirdly and finally, one, one thing that we need to keep in mind is that he's talking about something that strikes at the heart of the gospel. Right, And we're, that's our third point that we're going to flesh out, exactly what this truth is. But in other words, he's not saying, look, if, if you believe in infant baptism and somebody doesn't, you don't have to talk to them. Not at all. He's not talking about some, some disagreement over Christian, you know, uh, uh, an, an important but not vital Christian doctrine. He's talking about the very heart of the gospel. Okay? And so for those people, he says, No. You can't, have them in, you can't have them in your church teaching. You can't bring them in. So what does that mean for us? Look, I think one thing that's obvious that, that comes out of that is that what it means for you and I is that we have to be very careful about the, tr- about the truth that we put ourselves under. Right? That it must be very dangerous to put ourselves under things that are false. That we don't need to, and that's why I called it, breathe the truth. We don't need to continue to breathe the air of falsehood, lest we be deceived. Now look, that doesn't mean that you don't talk to people that have different, you know, that aren't Christians. It doesn't mean that you don't read a book about a belief that is not the gospel, right? It doesn't mean that you don't interact and even study those things. But it's what... What do you put yourself, what do you submit yourself to? I think a great application of that would be um, in regards to where you put yourself in church. Uh, Does the church that you go to preach and teach the truth? Because, look, I think it, and I think that you'll find this when maybe more later in life. But you've got to be careful to put yourself under a church that preaches and teaches the truth of the gospel and nothing else. And now that might, you know, I don't know if that resonates with you or not, but it's easy. In other words, let me say it like this. It doesn't matter how good the youth group is, right? Save that, file that away for when you have kids, and that's going to be really attractive. That church has got a great youth group for our kids. But if they don't preach and teach the truth, stay away. It doesn't matter how great the music is. It doesn't matter how great their programs are. How it, Nothing else matters if they don't preach and teach the truth of the gospel. Stay away. And now look, let me say this. I don't want you to hear me say, right? You did not hear me say, if it's not a PCA church, then you don't need to be in it. I hope you don't take that away from that at all. It's whether or not they preach and teach the truth. So that begs the question, how do you know if they're preaching and teaching the truth? And John basically tells us in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And so John is actually probably borrowing from these false teachers' language. Right, these false teachers, and we're going to get into this in a minute, are probably showing up, and they're basically um, saying, like, yeah, yeah, we have Jesus, right, and what he taught, and more than that. Like, here's the new stuff that you need to know. Right, We're, we're going ahead, we're taking Jesus, and we're going beyond that. And John says, no, 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 do not, don't go past Jesus. Don't, don't try to improve upon what Jesus has given us. And so where do we find what Jesus has taught us? Very simply in the Bible, right? We have the word of God in the scripture in the Bible. And so John is, yeah, for our purposes, John is telling us, do not go past that. Stay with what you have there. Don't go beyond it. And so that's how you know if a church is preaching and teaching the Bible. And now look, let me say this. A campus ministry, a church, any, any it's possible to preach and teach the Bible and not preach and teach Jesus, so be aware of that distinction, right? Are they teaching what the Bible is all about, which is Jesus? because we don't need to go beyond that right It's easy to do uh, you know illustration real quick of what it like what does it look like to go beyond that? I thought about it like this. Like If we tell, we tell our kids, right, if someone comes to the door, you don't go answer it, right? You come get mom or dad. Our kids are little, right? So you don't go, get, uh, you don't go to the door and say, why? Well, most everybody that's going to come to our door is a nice person, but sometimes maybe somebody that's not nice will come to the door and, and you need mom or dad. So you can imagine if they come to get us and say, hey, somebody knocked, is knocked, has, has knocked on the door and... So, because we thought it might be somebody bad, we called nine one one, and now we're coming to get you, right? Like, uh, okay, no, don't do that, right? Stay with what we said. Don't go beyond that, right? You don't need to call nine one one. We can we can handle this, right? You get the idea that if you go beyond, nothing but trouble. So, what might it look like for us to go beyond God's word, right? Certainly, it might look like big, you know, a uh, very large. Scale ways like this, like we leave the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is Jesus plus something that you do. That people are that you're saved if you trust Jesus and work really hard at reading your Bible or stopping that sin or whatever. Or maybe when we elevate, um, when we elevate some, something uh, to an absolute in the Christian life, that from the scriptures just isn't like your view on dating or alcohol, or schooling, homeschool, public school, whatever, or your view, uh, your political view. When we take something like that and we make it an absolute, right, we're going beyond the Word of God. And we need to guard the truth and not go beyond it. All right, so thirdly, finally, we've seen that John calls us to walk in the truth, live in light of the truth, that, we're, that we need to guard that truth. We need to make sure that we're breathing the truth. And so now, I don't know if this is the best title for this point, but we need to believe the truth. And basically, I, I want to focus in on what it is that John, uh, the, the heresy that John saw in these people. Right, basically, these false teachers have come And they're they're obviously teaching something that's false. So what is it? Well, verse 7 says that that they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. In other words, they did not believe, and they taught, that Jesus was not really human. That when Jesus was on earth, he really just appeared to be human. But that he wasn't actually a real human being. And look, it might have even been born out of the, uh, the desire to protect his deity, right? That God is so great, that he's so, uh, that he's so transcendent, that he can't come and actually be a real human being. It's too scandalous, maybe. But for whatever the reason, they taught that he wasn't fully human. And John, if we could use this language, freaks out about it. And he says that is absolutely a deal breaker. So why does he care so much about it? Right? It may not seem like such a big deal, but if Jesus was not fully human, if Jesus wasn't a, a real man, then it means that that our sins cannot be forgiven, because only a human can stand in the pla- can take the place of a human and bear that punishment. Right, Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats didn't really save anybody, like in the Old Testament. It has to be a human. It means that our humanity would not be restored right, with the resurrection. That's not a real human body that rises from the dead. It, 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 it can't be identified with us. And one other thing it means that I want to I sort of lay on for just a minute is it means that Jesus can't identify with us and help us. Listen to Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. It says, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then listen to Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus... Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Here it is. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hear what that says. That Jesus was tempted in every respect like us, and yet without sin. Like, do you... Do you hear that? Do you hear how almost scandalous that could sound? If you begin to think about the things that you're tempted with, that what this is saying, right, and the truth that they would deny, this is saying that Jesus can identify with you and your struggle, whatever your struggle is. Whatever it is. There's nothing that you have been tempted by, that you struggle with, that in some form or fashion, at least at its root, Jesus didn't deal with himself. And because he he has come and experienced that, and still yet without sin, he knows how to help us. Right? You probably had some experience where you were going through something that was really difficult. And you got to talk with somebody that had been through that exact same thing. And you know how much easier, how helpful that can be, right? Because they get it. Right? I I can think of tons of examples, but, you know, one, uh, so our middle son, Davis, right, uh, born deaf, he's got a hearing aid, cochlear implant, hears just fine now. But when we were finding that out, right, that's obviously a, a tough thing to deal with. And the folks in Louisville where we lived did a great job of, of helping him and putting us in contact with people that had gone through this before us. And uh, especially Amy, right, could meet with folks who had a child that was deaf and had gone through the surgery and had a cochlear implant, right? They knew exactly what we were feeling. They knew exactly what to tell us to expect. And it helped so much, right? right that's just a little taste of what this says. So that means that whatever it is you deal with, no matter how dark, no matter how sinister it is, Jesus can identify with that struggle. He gets it. He knows what it's like because he's been there. And now again, remember, it's hard, right? It's hard to keep this balanced. He's been there, but he's never sinned. He's been tempted by it, but never sinned. So that means if maybe you feel great shame over something you've done, or maybe something that was done to you, and you struggle, you're tempted to let that define you. Jesus gets that. He knows what that He knows what that's like. Jesus experienced great shame, and the Bible says that He that He despised the shame. He hated it. Maybe you're tempted to grab control of your life somehow. Maybe through your eating or your schoolwork or in some form or fashion, right? Jesus can identify with that. Right? He prayed and asked God if there's any other way to do this. Right? Certainly there's a temptation there to want to take control. But he doesn't. Maybe you're tempted. Uh, you're tempted to believe that God doesn't really love you. Jesus has been there. He's felt that temptation, right? Satan said uh, in the, you know, he's in the desert. He says, uh, if you're really the son of God, and the implication is if if God, if God loves you, right? Because if he does, if you're really his son, you can throw yourself off the temple and he'll send angels, right? Tempting him. Does God really love you? He knows what that, that feels like. If you're tempted sexu- uh, to abuse sexuality in some way, Jesus has been there. right? Just in one, he, he had a prostitute uh, take her hair down, sign of intimacy, and essentially throw herself at his feet. He's been there. And yet without sin. Maybe you're tempted to hold a grudge against your friends because they've wronged you in some way. Jesus knows, Jesus gets that. Right, his 12, best friend, his 12 best friends left him at the hardest point in his life. You don't think there was some temptation there? Of course there was. He can identify and he can help. So let's end with this. How can Jesus help us in our struggles? First, it's just great to see that he's been there, right? That God doesn't just sort of sit on high and say like, here's a circumstance, deal with that, and we'll see how it goes. But he's been there. Listen to Hebrews 4:16. This is right after uh, 4.15. Should come as no shock to you. What we just read. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But primarily I'm not saying there are not other ways that Jesus helps, but primarily the way that Jesus helps us in our struggles, in our temptations, is by giving us and pointing us to God's grace and mercy. Right? He gives us God's grace and mercy by becoming a human being and being tempted in every way imaginable and yet being Perfect. He faces all of those temptations, and he's perfect for us. That's what we call justification, right? That we get credit for that. So that means that if you're a believer, that your sexual record before God is that of Jesus's. That he looked at every man and every woman perfectly. That's the record you have with God. It means that your record with how you treat those that wrong you is that of Jesus' record. That He perfectly forgave everyone, right? He prayed for the people that were crucifying Him. And you get that record. But He's also able to help us in our struggles by pointing us to the very grace and mercy. To the love of God. To show us the thing that we're really looking for. that we're tempted to find somewhere else, right? In other words, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted with sexual sin. And so he knows exactly, he knows that what you're really looking for is is maybe significance. That really what you're going for is, is you want to be significant. Or you want to find acceptance. And he knows how to point you to the throne of grace, where you will find ultimate acceptance, ultimate significance, what you're really looking for. Or maybe that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to find your identity in something else, right? To to find your identity in your performance or your grades or what other people think about you or whatever. He knows how to point you to what you're really looking for, which is to have the God of the universe look at you and call you son or daughter. He knows how to point you to that. He helps by being and reminding us of the truth of God's grace and mercy. So he invites you to believe, he invites you to live, and he invites you to breathe that truth for free. Won't you come? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we have just and and very imperfectly scratched the surface of of the beauty and the enormity of who you are and what you've done. That you would become a person—it really is that scandalous. You really are that infinite, and eternal, and unchangeable, and yet you became a man. So that you can identify with us, because you love us. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that, that the truth uh, that, that truth would be true of all of us here tonight, and if it's not, would you please make it so? And we ask it in your name. Amen.